Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more Half-Assed History. This week on the Agenda, we're going to be having a chat about Wilhelm II, the last German emperor. Now, this bloke, well, look, I'm not going to bury the lead here. He was a straight-up wacko. He, of course, was the man who uh, helped to lead the Germans into the First World War. And the fact that a crazy person was at the helm uh, during this period of, in history was uh, uh, was not a particularly good thing for Germany, I have to say. Uh, and overall, probably a pretty bad thing for the world at large, because... His actions, as you know, just a straight-up nutcase, uh, had some pretty far-reaching consequences in terms of global history, into, you know, the development of the Second World War and all of that sort of stuff. And he was pretty instrumental in, in a lot of what was going on internationally uh, at the time. But, of course, that's all pretty boring. I'm not going to chat too much about that. That's all boring, you know, dates and facts and figures and names. We're not too into that here at Half-Hour History. We're going to talk about the fact that, you know, this bloke liked to slap other blokes on the, on the arse with a, the flat of a sword. That's much more in our wheelhouse here. So let's get to it and have a chat about some of the ridiculous nonsense that this fellow got up to. We're going back to 1859 for his birth here. The, uh, the 27th of January he's born, so day after Australia Day, get around him. Well, actually, Australia Day was, was definitely not a thing at this stage, but in any case, still get around him. Um, he is the eldest son of Prince Friedrich and Princess Victoria. Now, Friedrich is the son of King Wilhelm uh, I, or, or, well, who would go on to be Wilhelm I of, of Germany, but he's actually not the... Uh, Germany doesn't exist, so he's not, he can't be the emperor of Germany at this stage. Germany doesn't even exist. Germany's only established in 1871 after the Franco-Prussian War. So at this stage, Wilhelm, uh, is, his, his grandfather Wilhelm, is the king of Prussia. Uh, Friedrich is the first in line to the, the kingdom, and of course, Wilhelm, uh, our mate here, is the second in line. So as you can see, well and truly setting himself up for uh, a life with the old silver spoon, firmly in the gob. Um, and uh, this is also helped by his mother's family, because his mother, Victoria, is the daughter of Queen Victoria of Britain. So his, grand, his grandpa is the king of Prussia, and his grandma is the queen of of, of Britain, so this bloke is, uh, you know, he's got he's got all the pedigrees in the world, and uh, as a result, you know, he's he's just he's well and truly set up half half German, half British, and uh, well and truly, you know, um, rubbing shoulders with the uh, with the, the most powerful families in Europe at the state. Um, now, as when he's born, his uh, his old man Friedrich is acting as a regent for his grandfather, who is you know getting on in years. 
But unfortunately for our mate Wilhelm, uh, it, it, things get off to a bad start for him right from the get-go because uh, when, when his birth is taking place, the doctor who was delivering him oh, absolutely stuffed it all up beyond belief. Uh, Wilhelm was a breech birth, and as I say, the doctor, he made a total circus of it here, uh, ended up causing Wilhelm pretty severe nerve damage to his neck and upper arm. And this nerve damage meant that his left arm got all sort of uh, you know, deformed and mangled and um, uh, suffered from paralysis, didn't grow properly. It was actually about 15 centimetres shorter than his right. And that is a pretty bad way to kick off your readings here on, uh, on planet Earth. Uh, but, you know, you've got to show a bit of ticker. You've got to get past it. And uh, Wilhelm absolutely did not do this. His disability really uh, messed with his head and, and, and sort of went to pretty strongly develop or influence his development uh, you know, as a, as a boy and as a young man. When looking at pictures of this bloke, actually, you may not really be able to see the deformity that he had because uh, he was so ashamed of it. His withered arm, he was so self-conscious about it that he'd always pose with it at a funny angle or he'd have it resting on a sword or a cane or something like that to make it seem like it was longer, like a normal length. Anyway, this situation with his arm, as I say, dominated his development as a youngster and he, he was tremendously ashamed of it. Um, and it's a bit, which is a bit of a shame, really. I mean, no one really deserves to have to have to suffer for that. Doesn't matter how much of a how much of a prick you end up being. It, it's not really, you know, not really something anyone should have to deal with. But it uh, it wasn't helped by his mum's attitude to, to it because young Vicky, she absolutely hated her son's disability and forced him to go through all sorts of the most horrific stuff to you know to try to sort of fix it or something, whatever. Everything you know, from electric shock therapy to you know, proper pagan stuff like wrapping freshly killed animals around it. So poor Wilhelm, he's gone through it. All. He's having, having a terrible time. Um, and as a result, well, not maybe just as a result of this, but this certainly didn't help the fact that he was an absolute terror. He was he was a real oh man. He was a real bastard of a kid. Um, there's one, you know, he's a wild child. There's one story about him uh, being at a royal wedding in the UK in 1863. He's only four years old. You know, he's all dressed up in his Highland costume. He's loving it, uh, complete with a little dagger, little Dirk there. Um, and he gets bored during the ceremony and he starts acting up like you know, this little monster. So the poor bloke who has to look after him, his his uncle Duke Albert tells him to put a sock in it, you know, carrying on like a pork chop, young man, sit there, you know, be quiet and, and, and mind, mind your business there. Now, uh, in response, young Wilhelm rips out his knife and has a crack at Albert. Uh, Albert tries to take the little dagger off him, and so Wilhelm bites him on the leg like a little maniac uh, and makes, you know, an enormous scene here at the wedding. But get this, Queen Victoria, she loves it. She finds, she finds the whole thing really, really funny, and she reckons that little Wilhelm is a top-notch grandson, really, you know, kicking goals with both feet and having a great time. Anyway, over the years, Wilhelm, uh, he gets through school and all the rest of it, where he actually demonstrates that he's got a pretty quick mind. The problem was that he had an enormously erratic temper to go with it. He'd fly off the handle left, right and centre. Doesn't matter how, you know, how smart he was here, he just couldn't control his emotions. He ends up getting uh, really into the military, absolutely loving the culture of the, of the Prussian knobs who are all about you know, smart uniforms and parades and all that sort of stuff. And this means that in 1879, when he does some time with the first regiment, uh, first regiment of foot guards, he absolutely loves it. This bloke is all about the military. He loves every bit of it, the uniform, the orders, the marching up and down, and also, depending on who you ask, the general sort of homoerotic undertone of the whole business. His dad was involved in the wars that preceded the creation of the German Empire in 1871, of course, the most important one being the, Fra the Franco-Prussian War, but there were others. Um, and so young Wilhelm, he loved his old man. He adored him. He saw him as a big shot war hero. But even, even you know, after this admiration, this, uh, you know, the, the way that Wilhelm loved his dad, the two blokes were very, very distant. Emotional bonding between father and son was right out of the question. This is a, a very grand tradition in the, uh, in the Hohenzollern uh, family. I didn't mention this, that uh, Wil uh, Wilhelm and Friedrich and all the others are part of the Hohenzollern family, one of the most important and influential uh, noble, noble dynasties in, in Europe throughout, you know, 
the last 500 years. Um, uh, but going all the way back to, you know, Frederick the Great, who, as we discussed in episode one, didn't really have a great relationship with his father. Um, uh, this is a, you know, a, a, a proud tradition of the Hohenzollerns as well as, you know, kicking ass up and down Europe as, with all the Prussians. Anyway, anyway. Unfortunately for Wilhelm, this is also the case with his mum. Vicky was always very cold to her poor son, which had some very interesting consequences. We can talk about some of them now. Some historians reckon that he had a huge Oedipus complex, evidenced by uh, some of the pretty racy letters that he sent her. Here's a, here's a quote from one of them. <clears throat> I have again dreamt about you. This time I was alone with you in your library when you stretched forth your arms and pulled me down. Then you took off your gloves and laid your hand gently on my lips for me to kiss it. I wish you would do the same when I am in Berlin alone with you in the evening. So, yeah, this bloke was a bit of a weird beard in in that regard. Anyway, that was, just to remind you, that was a letter to his mum. Anyway, he also idolised his granddad, who became Kaiser Wilhelm I in 1871, again due, uh, due to this era of, of Prussian and then German military dominance once, uh, once the Franco-Prussian War was over. He actually rejected his mum's attempts uh, to talk him around to British democracy as he was so gung-ho for this militaristic autocracy. Of course, Britain has a parliamentary democracy at this stage. Germany well and truly still an autocracy there. And eventually, as a result, you know, despite the admiration he had for his grandpa and his father and, and all the distance that he had with his mother, as a result of you know, what happens here, his relationship with his parents becomes strained to the point of dysfunction. And uh, there's one person who actually helped this uh, momentum, the d- dysfunction actually, you know, sort of ramp up and up. And this bloke is Otto von Bismarck. Bismarck is a super interesting dude, you know, with the story of his own to explore. But in this case, he won over young Wilhelm by talking to him about, you know, how his parents were putting British interests above German ones, which Wilhelm did not like one little bit, as you can imagine. So, you know, Otto von Bismarck is there as a little devil on his shoulder with a pitchfork and, and you know, the horns and the tail going, oh, listen to, your, listen to your parents, they're not looking after the Germans properly. That's probably not how von Bismarck talked. No, it probably is, actually. Who knows? Anyway, this manipulation ultimately meant that Wilhelm ended up with a, with a very strong suspicion and a very powerful dislike of the British, despite being half British himself, remember, which obviously had very important consequences uh, later on as we head toward, towards the First World War. It's kind of, you know, Bismarck has kind of poisoned the well there when it comes to uh, Wilhelm and his, and his view of the British. Anyway, he gets married in 1880 to a bird named Augusta Victoria of Schleswig-Holstein, and uh, they stayed together for four decades until she died, and they have seven kids together. So in 1884... Uh, he also got stuck into some diplomatic work here and there, and uh, uns- unfortunately and unsurprisingly, for someone who uh, was definitely a few stubby short of a six-pack, he makes a bit of a meal of it. By this stage, his weirdness has definitely emerged to a very obvious degree. He's often, uh, you know, been of a bit of a dirty bastard with people he's chatting to, and he has a very unfortunate habit of slapping other blokes on the ass. Um, unfortunately, his status as a, as a you know huge big weirdo doesn't diminish even after he takes the throne in 1888. Uh, after his old man dies of throat cancer. Anyway, as I say, in 1888, uh, Wilhelm does become the third and final uh, German emperor. His grandpa, Wilhelm I, is the first, obviously, in the top job. Uh, And then his dad, Friedrich, has a crack for only 99 days in 1888, but he's dead pretty quick. As a side note, actually, uh, there's something of a tradition in Prussia for the kings to be either called uh, Friedrich, Wilhelm, or Friedrich Wilhelm. And this gets especially confusing when they reset the numbers after changing government types. There had been half a million Wilhelms before our mate the Kaiser, but he's back to Wilhelm II now that it's an empire and not the Kingdom of Prussia anymore. Anyway, poor old Wilhelm II, I have to say, he does a pretty 
pretty terrible job at being emperor uh, for a number of reasons. Now, we'll cover off all the boring stuff first before getting into him, you know, playing funny buggers in just a minute. So boring stuff out of the way. Um, one of the first things uh, Wilhelm does is uh, make a colossal mistake and give Otto von Bismarck the ass. This is a huge error, as Bismarck was and still is an absolutely hugely towering figure in German politics. He was known as the Iron Chancellor. And I tell you what, he did not muck about. He fought the uh, all these wars of German unification. He essentially pulled together the modern state of Germany, uh, in addition to being one of the hardest blokes you'd ever meet. This, this man almost single-handedly conceived or at least shaped the Europe that we have even today as in terms of the division of, of, of cultures, of, of, of peoples, of, of languages. And he was enormously influential and instrumental in establishing uh, the, the power structure that led towards the, uh, the First World War. He was one of the most skilled diplomats of the time, and I tell you what, he did a bang-up job of looking after Germany's interests. There is so much to talk about with this bloke, and I would love to do an episode on him, but unfortunately, he's just not all that funny, which is a, a classic move for... You know, probably the most German bloke ever to live, I have to say. Anyway, despite Bismarck doing everything he could to win uh, Wilhelm over as a young man, now that Wilhelm is the uh, the top dog of the heap, they start to butt heads. Now, Bismarck was a bit of a drama queen. He could be pretty melodramatic at some times, and he would often threaten Wilhelm I with his resignation whenever he wasn't getting his way. So when Wilhelm II and him start stouching, he tries to use this old trick uh, on Wilhelm II uh, in 1890. Obviously, it had done him very well in the past, and it sort of scared Wilhelm's predecessors into, into giving uh, Bismarck his way. But this time, unfortunately, Wilhelm calls his bluff and says, no worries, mate. Shut the door after you. Cheers, mate. Good on you. On your bike. Tell your story walking. Good on you. Get out of here. Now, Bismarck can't believe this, but honestly, he's actually not all that upset by it because he knows that the, you know, this saber-rattling idiot emperor is, is going to end up with a war, and he wants no part of it. And sure enough, this fragile European peace that Bismarck had sort of kept together for years and years, it came undone in the coming time. No small thanks to Wilhelm making a colossal tit of himself and not having Bismarck there to smooth things over. So with Bismarck out of the picture and not there to boss him about, Wilhelm now gets on with his agenda, building up German military power, especially the navy. This bloke was very keen to get stuck into some kind of scrap or another. Most of the, the you know, the sort of big stuff-ups he'd made had surrounded conflict with other nations, be it uh, military or diplomatic. But unfortunately, he just wasn't cut out to be a leader. He was brash and impatient. He didn't listen to anyone. He was brimming with misplaced self-confidence and, and just completely unstable. Despite his, you know, very sharp intelligence and, and strong interest in modern technology, Wilhelm still basically only ever really opened his mouth to change feet. A very famous example of him making an enormous ass of himself was his response to the Boxer Rebellion, which was when anti-colonial forces in China went up against blo- uh, went up against blokes from all around the world—British, American, Russian, French, Japanese, and German, kind of. The Germans actually were pretty late to the party and missed out on most of the fighting, but this didn't stop old Wilhelm getting up on his soapbox and flapping his gums. His speech was so over the top. He compared uh, the modern Germany, uh, German army to Attila and his Huns and told his troops to make sure that no Chinese will ever again dare to look cross-eyed at a German. Now, obviously, this speech, it, it pissed off quite a lot of people because he's up there strutting, you know, strutting around like a peacock, saying all sorts of dumb stuff. Well, his boys didn't even get there in time for the scrap in the first place. But I tell you what, this was nothing compared to the oh, the monumental, oh, incredible mistake he made uh, that became known as the Daily Telegraph Affair 
in 1908. Basically, he does this interview with the Daily Telly, a, a London newspaper, where the journo just sat there speechless, his jaw on the floor here, uh, as this bloke spouted off some of the craziest nonsense you'll ever hear. The purpose of the interview was to calm things down a little bit between Britain and Germany as tension between the two nations was at an all-time high. Again, a lot of this was to do with the fact that the German, Germany was building up its navy. But not only did he fail to you know, build any kind of bridge with the British during this interview, he also managed to piss off the French, the Russians and the Japanese with the stuff that he said. So basically what's happened here is he's gone up to a mate at a party and he's gone, oh, whoops, oh, sorry, mate, just watch it. You've got, you got a bit of tomato sauce on your jumper there. Let me get it. And instead of, you know, wiping it off his mate's jumper, he's in, smeared it all over his mates and the two blokes standing next to them and then picked up the sauce bottle and sprayed it all over the curtains and then stamped it into the carpet while giving them all the middle finger is effectively, you know, a pretty apt way to imagine what what came of this interview. What has happened is during this interview, he is just talking nonsense about all these issues. He's obviously done and knows his homework. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's just sort of, you know, letting fly with all these off-the-cuff remarks. The most famous line he delivered was, you English are mad, mad, mad as March hares. Now, today that doesn't seem like much, but geez, it did not go down well at the time. He also talked about how France and Russia had been up to no good and, you know, playing silly buggers behind Germany's back and that most Germans hated them, which was, you know, a pretty pretty nasty thing to say on behalf of your own people. But then... When questioned, because he goes, you know, obviously the, 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 the hot button issue of the time is the German Navy and the fact that it's being built up and, you know, might even be able to contest the, uh, the British Navy. When he's questioned about this ever growing Navy, he goes, oh, no, 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 don't worry about that. That's because we're going after the Japanese, not you blokes. Now, perhaps he, you know, he thought that the Japanese didn't have, you know, newspapers, but the Japanese weren't particularly pleased to hear that the Germans were, you know, coming gunning for them and, and building this Navy just for that purpose. Anyway, the net result of this interview is that the international suspicions about this bloke being an absolute wacko are confirmed and tensions are rising even further. We're only a few years out from the First World War, of course, but more personally, however, the fallout of this interview absolutely wrecked the ridiculously self, you know, inflated self-confidence of this emperor. And uh, this had some pretty important consequences as we head further and further into the First World War. Anyway, if you'll believe it, that's the boring stuff. I said we would talk about the boring stuff before getting on to the good stuff. That's the boring stuff. So strap yourselves in, ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your butts, because it's about to get buck wild up in here. Previous to this interview, and previous to, you know, the, the deflation of his self-confidence, he thought... He was the hottest property in town for years and years and years, and his insane behaviour indicated this very strongly. Uh, a bunch of politicians and diplomats actually wrote about how mental poor old Wilhelm was. Bismarck, obviously, described him as having an abnormal mental condition, which I think is rather generous. An Austrian diplomat reckoned that he had, quote, a screw loose, and even a Prussian diplomat, someone who's supposed to be on his side, wrote that Wilhelm was possessed by an evil spirit. The best one, however, came from an American diplomat named Colonel Edward House, who simply said that the emperor was crazy, which I think is a, uh, a very astute observation in their house. Anyway, I first got interested in this bloke's story after listening to uh, the very excellent podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, where they talk about some of the rubbish that he got up to. And you should definitely listen to that podcast if, if you haven't come across it already. It is, it is 
very well and truly worth your time. So, so have, a, have a listen to that. No such thing as a fish. Um, in one of the episodes, uh, they, they talked about, you know, some of the insane things that this bloke got up to. And this was, you know, what then caused me to go and do a bunch of extra research about him. Because, yeah, I'll share with you some of the stuff they covered off in that, uh, in that episode here. First of all, he loved to play dress-ups. He had hundreds and hundreds of different military uniforms, uh, many of them from nations other than Germany, and he would change clothes several times a day. He wore particular uniforms for different activities, which obviously you can understand. You don't want to you know, go riding in, in, in your, in your you know, tuxedo, but it wasn't really on that level. Instead, it was things like he would only ever eat plum pudding while dressed in a British admiral's uniform. He also loved to dress up in the uniforms of the nations of visiting dignitaries, which is pretty bloody weird, to be honest. There's a very famous picture, here, a picture of him with his cousin, Tsar Nicholas of Russia, where they're wearing each other's uniforms. And you can see the look on the face of Nicholas. He looks like he's wishing one of the, the guards would shoot him so he didn't have to hang out with his weird cousin. But um, you know, aside from dressing up, there's there's actually there's a bit of evidence uh, that uh, poor old Wilhelm was was a repressed homosexual, or, or at least had you know certain urges in that direction. You know, things like strong, tall, and handsome officers receiving personal promotions from the Kaiser above their uglier, shorter, and more competent colleagues, and uh, he tended to surround himself in the inner circle of blokes who you know looked like bloody Chippendale dancers, many of many of whom were in fact gay themselves, and he used to call them all darling. But um, whether or not Wilhelm was gay is, is, is largely irrelevant on an objective level, uh, obviously. But uh, his odd behaviour with this sort of thing may have had something to do with the attitudes of the time. And it certainly influenced his behaviour. So, you know, it's at, least, it's at least a little bit important. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But, uh, you know, all this weird behavior had very far-reaching consequences for the world as we head towards the, towards the First World War. But it was nowhere was it more mental than at his court. You know, we can talk about the external implications of, of his behaviour, but the internal ones are where the party really kicks off. It was it was very risky business being in the Kaiser's court because because of some of the weird stuff that he did. Firstly, he liked to physically punish noblemen at court when they annoyed him. For example, he made them do squats and or jumping jacks and stuff like that. And seeing as some of these blokes were in their seventies, it was a hard bloody yakka for some of them, as you can imagine. His court was also the stage for some very weird performances. Uh, a bloke named Dietrich von Husen, a Prussian noble and a member of the German high command, died of a heart attack while dancing for Wilhelm in a little tutu. But it goes a lot further than that, if you believe it. He set up this secret society called the White Stag Dining Society. And to be accepted as a member, you had to let Wilhelm smack you on the ass with the flat of a sword. And I guess you would just hope that he was able to distinguish the flat of the sword from the blade, because that would be a very difficult story to explain to anyone who then, you know, was ever privy to that information. Anyway, at one of these meetings, a bloke named uh, Count Emil Goetz von Schlitz got all dressed up like a poodle, got down on his hands and knees, and crawled around barking at everyone. So this was just a sort of regular, you know, this is just another meeting of the, of the White Stag Dining Society. 
But what makes this story all the worse about poor old uh, Count Emil was that according to one of the blokes who witnessed this whole thing, Count Emil was being a super dirty bloke. He was loving it, right? And had <clears throat> what, the, what the, the witness described as a marked rectal opening at the end of his costume. And naturally, Wilhelm bloody loved it. Anyway, this insanity isn't really what Wilhelm is best known for today. His role in the beginning of the First World War kind of eclipses a lot of this. And truth be told, he wasn't hugely involved in, in much of the war because he was a huge idiot when it came to the military. And, uh, it, well, actually, having said that, in the opening stages of the July crisis, he did certainly play a, you know, a very big part. He was mates with Archduke Franz Ferdinand, whose assassination you can, of course, hear all about right here on Half Past History, episode 13. Don't even worry about it, mate. So when the Archduke sort of, you know, gets his head blown off in, in Serbia, Wilhelm was well and truly ready to crack some skulls. He was, uh, he was a huge, he was, as he was basically, you know, a huge bully, Wilhelm saw the ruling conflict as an opportunity to assert German dominance. He figures out very quickly, however, that it's going to be a tough slog here and uh, gets pretty panicked when he realises that Germany is going to have to fight a two-front war. With Russia to the east and France to the west, Germany is hemmed in and Wilhelm is not happy. And then when the UK starts chucking punches around as well, he is furious. He's spitting chips. Remember, he's cousins with both, uh, with both Tsar Nicholas and King George V, and he feels like they've completely betrayed him by going to war like this. As the war gets underway and, you know, as he sort of bungles up more and more of, of, of the war effort, his generals slowly but surely, uh, you know, take more and more power away from him. He sort of, you know, waves his dick around as, he, as much as he could and, and tried to assert himself. But, you know, like a noisy kid at a wedding, he's just kind of pushed off to the side and given pointless tasks to look after. And within two years, Germany is basically a military dictatorship with uh, Wilhelm as a figurehead, restricted to rubbish ceremonial stuff like awards, dues and, you know, other stuff like that. Anyway, when it all comes a cropper in 1918 and Germany are forced to throw in the towel, things don't go too well for our, old, uh, for our mate Wilhelm either. He's desperate to hold on to one of the crowns. Even if he gives up being emperor, he wants to stay on as the king of Prussia. But it was not on the cards, however. The uprisings and the mutinies in Berlin, along with the total lack of support from the general public, means that he is forced to abdicate on the 9th of November 1918, which is the same day that the Weimar Republic was established. His abdication marked, by the way, the end of four centuries of his family's rule in Prussia. The Hohenzollerns had been in charge of Prussia since Duke Albert I in 1525, and this idiot ended up giving the game away. And uh, and there are yeah, the Hohenzollerns they are not in charge of Prussia anymore. Four centuries of this dynasty's legacy ended just like that. Anyway. With the First World War done and dusted, Wilhelm is about as popular as a, as a fart in an elevator, and uh, as, he, as a result, he's forced to flee Germany altogether. He goes into exile, into the Netherlands, where uh, he was pretty well looked after, all things considered. When Germany was forced to sign the uh, Treaty of Versailles in 1919, some of the Allies were looking to prosecute Wilhelm for war crimes, uh, but the Netherlands told them to, uh, to get stuffed because they weren't going to extradite him. And Wilhelm was very, very happy about this too, as you can imagine. He publicly stated that he never wanted to go back to Germany until the monarch was restored. Anyway, over in the Netherlands, he buys himself a big old manor house in Dorn, and uh, he remains there until his death, living in exile and, and getting involved in all sorts of you know rich, knobby stuff like archaeology, hunting, and, and that sort of thing. He had a very interesting relationship with the Nazis, who uh, obviously rose to power in the 1930s. Initially, he had hoped that there might, actually, uh, there might end up being a, a Hohenzollern restoration once Hitler had seized power, and even got in touch 
uh, you know, with the Nazis to get a sense of whether it was on the cards, which I think is the very definition of, uh, of wishful thinking. Hitler, obviously, basically told him to stick it up his ass because Hitler actually blamed Wilhelm in, in part for having lost the First World War. Wilhelm then became very critical of Hitler, and after Kristallnacht in, uh, in 1938, he came out and said, for the first time, I'm ashamed to be German. But this didn't stop him from getting in touch with Hitler again in 1940, so don't give him too much credit, uh, congratulating him on the victories in the Netherlands in, and, and in France. And the telegram read, congratulations, you have won using my troops. And uh, after reading the correspondence he'd received from Wilhelm, Hitler is said to have turned, exasperated to his valet and said, what an idiot. Anyway, poor old Wilhelm didn't live to see the end of the war. He died in 1941 at the age of 82. And uh, unfortunately for him, Hitler's political opportunism came to the fore once again at this stage. Wilhelm, as you might imagine, he didn't like the Nazis all that much and, and very clearly ordered that there were to be no swastikas or any other Nazi symbols at his funeral. Hitler, on the other hand, had done a lot of work uh, to attempt to set himself up to be seen as the spiritual successor to this great dynasty of Prussian kings. And so Wilhelm got a, uh, a military funeral with uh, you know swastikas out the arse, basically. He did, however, get his wish. He never returned to Germany. And his bones actually still lie today in the Netherlands. I assume they won't be moved back to Germany until the Hohenzollerns are restored to the throne. And seeing as their old palace in Berlin is currently a construction site... Plonking the royal ass of his des uh, descendant Georg Friedrich onto the throne seems highly unlikely. So, I hope uh, old Kaiser Bill is nice and comfortable over there in Dorn. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Wilhelm II. And uh, again... Not too much of a focus on uh, on the sort of quote-unquote real stuff that he did because he didn't do a whole lot of it. But uh, there's certainly, you know, e even with the lack of involvement in the First World War, it's very clear that his general sort of uh, deal as the leader of the Germans definitely didn't help the tensions at the time and, and definitely didn't do the world any favours, uh, you know, as we spiralled towards uh, the First World War. Anyway... That is that for another week. Thanks for hanging out with me. It's always so fantastic to have your company on these uh, on these podcasts. So thanks for tuning in. And, and of course, we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out halfasthistory.net, it's the website for the podcast. You can find old uh, episodes there. And of course, uh, you can get in touch with me through the website. There's a contact form there. Or just send us an email directly, halfasthistory at gmail.com. Um, I've still got plenty of stickers to give away. I'll send them to you uh, for free if you get in touch with me and just send me your address. No worries at all. They'll be on their way. And uh, if you want to uh, get across Twitter, uh, you can find uh, you can find Half Past History at Half Past History without an O. Uh, wouldn't fit. Very annoying. And uh, there, I you know just tweet out stuff that I've been uh, I've been researching and and links to all the latest episodes and, and what have you. But as I say, that is it for another week. Thanks for hanging out with me. As usual, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit here. Reddit historian I am Irish Pat wants to know why did people call it World War One? Did they go into it already knowing that there was going to be a sequel? 